Now, I know that video had a whole lot of information, and just maybe some of it just seemed to fly right over your head. Um, there's a lot of good information there. Today we come to Easter. And Easter is about the person of that video. In her book entitled, The God Who Hung on the Cross, writer Ellen Vaughn tells the gripping story of how the gospel reached a small village in Cambodia. It happened in September of 1999 when a missionary pastor uh, went to a northern province in Cambodia called Kampong Tom. The missionary's name was Tui Singh. Too much information. This small village in northern Cambodia is isolated and pretty much outside of uh, the world. And most villagers practiced Buddhism and Spiritism. When missionary Tue Sang arrived and told uh, his message about Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross, and his payment for their sin, he was received with open arms by the villagers. They, uh, they received him, they received his message with great joy. Sang was amazed at their reception, and when he asked the villagers why they were so open to this message about Jesus, an elderly woman came forward and she bowed her head, and she grasped Sang's hands, and she said, we've been waiting for you to come for 20 years. Then she began to cry and tell the story of the mysterious God who hung on the cross. Now, if you know history, in the 1970s, the Khmer Rouge uh, overran uh, um, countries, and especially Cambodia. Khmer Rouge soldiers were exceptionally brutal, killing civilians and authorities alike. In 1979, the Khmer Rouge soldiers arrived in this small village. They rounded up all of the vi villagers, and they forced them to dig their own graves, as was common for them to do. And then they had the villagers, as they finished their graves, they had them stand at their graves facing the open grave with their back to the firing squad. And then the villagers began to cry out to Buddha and to the spirits and to their ancestors as they were facing death. And then one woman started to cry out for help based on a childhood memory. It was the story of her mother uh, a story that her mother told her as a child. It was a story about the God who hung on the cross, something she had heard when she was a child. And since this God uh, had known pain and suffering, surely he would understand her situation as she prayed. And so she prayed out loud to the unknown, unknown God who hung on the cross. And then she was soon joined in by others who were praying to the unknown God who hung on the cross. And then more and more, and soon everyone in the village was praying the same prayer to the unknown God who hung on the cross. Within a few minutes, there was loud wailing, and then it began to die down, and then there was silence overtaking the group. And one by one, the villagers began to turn around to see their captors, to see the firing squad, but they weren't there. They were gone. No one was killed. 
And the villagers saw the God who hung on the cross answer their prayers. And for 20 years now, they had been waiting for someone to tell them about this unknown God, the one who hung on the cross. You know, sometimes God answers prayer for people who are searching. And he answers prayer so that they will continue their search until they learn about the God on the unknown cross. Easter Sunday is about the God who hung on the cross. Now, we've developed a story over the past four weeks from John chapter 18 and John chapter 19. Today, we come to John chapter 20. It was on Thursday that we started John chapter 18, Thursday night of the Holy Week, Thursday night of uh, Easter week. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested by the soldiers. He was taken to Pilate. Then he was taken to Herod. Then he was taken back to Pilate. He was, before that, he was taken to Annas and Caiaphas, and then he was condemned by the Sanhedrin. He was denied by Peter three times. He was scourged by Roman soldiers, and he was condemned to be crucified by Pilate. About 9 a.m. on Friday, he was nailed to the cross. By 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he was dead. His body was removed from the cross by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And by sundown, his body was placed in Joseph's uh, newly hewn tomb. John tells us what happens next. John chapter 20 and verse 1. It's the resurrection of Jesus, verses 1 through 9. And if you have a program, there's an outline if you'd like to follow along on the outline. The discovery happens on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Verse, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So Friday, Jesus was crucified, put in the tomb, was in there all day Saturday. Now it's early Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene was one of the women bold enough to come near to Jesus while he was on the cross. Not a lot of people, the disciples all fled except John. A lot of people were very fearful to be there when Jesus was crucified. But Mary Magdalene was there along with the other women. Uh, Magdalene refers to the hometown of Magdala, where Mary was from, the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Mary had gone to the tomb that morning with other women. John only refers to Mary here. Uh, but the other gospel uh, writers uh, tell us that there were other wi women with her. Now, we assume now that Mary gets ahead of them because she is going to get to the tomb first. One of the things to keep in mind, just want to remind you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the story of Jesus, and they, they all write from different perspectives. They all record the crucifixion and the resurrection. They write from a different perspective, and they give us uh, slightly different information, and it's intentional. John gives us the most information about the resurrection. Mary went to the tomb ahead of the other women. And their purpose was to further prepare the body. The body had been prepared on Friday by Joseph and Nicodemus, and they have come to add to that preparation process. They've, they've purchased spices, and they have come uh, to the tomb. Mary saw that the stone had been removed. Uh, 
She went to the tomb. She saw the stone uh, had been removed uh, from the entrance. Now, this is a great cause for concern for Mary. This is a problem uh, that the, the tomb appears to be desecrated. This is not what they expected. Um, she is so concerned about Jesus and uh, his death and now uh, to take care of his body. The stone had been removed. Matthew 28 2 states that the angel rolled away the stone. Um, Mary frantically leaves to tell the disciple that the stone has been moved, believing that someone now has stolen the body. Perhaps the Romans, perhaps the Jewish religious leaders have put somebody up to this. And so she reports in verse 2. So uh, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, we have quite a clue about the other disciple. Just let me remind you, this is John. He's the writer of the gospel, and every time he appears, he's the disciple without a name. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, the one Jesus loved, and he said, and, she, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And notice the we. It's because Mary's with other women. Even John records that there is a group here. But Mary was first. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. She believes that the body's been stolen. So she runs. She is at a total loss. Jesus' body is gone. Verses 3 and 4, we have a race to the tomb. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is really a great example of an eyewitness account. The detail that the writer puts here. And of course, this sounds like Peter and John. A little competition going here. Who's going to win? There is a foot race to the tomb. They both are, this is a crisis. They're both uh, highly focused and they run to the tomb. John is younger. John outruns Peter and passes him on the way. John gets to the tomb first. Little detail gets recorded. Next, the evidence, verses 5 through 8. He, that is John, bent over. He had to, to look into the tomb. It wasn't, you, he had to stoop over to go into the entrance. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Another little small detail. He looks in. What's going to be here? He doesn't know. The tomb is open. What's going to be inside? I would imagine, I would guess I would probably stop myself and not just uh, go flying in there. Um, this is a little bit uncomfortable to walk into a tomb. Is the body going to be desecrated? The tomb is desecrated, it appears, at least firsthand, the first notice it appears because the, the, the stone is supposed to be there. Will there be body parts strewn all over? John hesitates. He is uncomfortable to go in. Verse 6, Then Peter, uh, Simon Peter, came along and be behind him and went straight into the tomb. That's just like Peter. He just, he's slow. He lumbers in. He just barrels right past John. He's not afraid. John may be faster, but Peter is not afraid. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So he sees the evidence. He gets a first-hand 
uh, eyewitness view of the evidence left at the empty tomb. Is this a tomb that's been invaded by grave robbers? Peter is just kind of mystified here, trying to process all of this information. Uh, The burial clothes seemed to be undisturbed. The head covering was still in the same place where the head of Jesus' body would have been placed. Verse verse 8, Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, important detail, also went inside and he saw. And he believed. The first person to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John is bold enough now to enter the tomb. Peter is already inside. John has stopped at the door. Now he comes in to see what Peter is looking at. The grave clothes looked undisturbed. No one had stolen the body. No one. Why would anybody want to unwrap a body that was wrapped in 100 pounds of spices? And then why would they want to uh, leave them nice and neatly right where the body had been? That's not typically how grave, wa- grave robbers worked. If anyone was going to steal the body, they would just try to carry everything away. But these grave clothes appear undisturbed, exactly as they were, as if Jesus just appeared from the clothes, as if he was resurrected and left the clothing behind. John got it. It made sense now. John believed. He began to remember things that Jesus had said, and now he believes. Peter, still not sure. And then uh, verse 9, it's kind of a side, it's in parentheses, it's kind of a thought coming in later that John adds right here. Uh, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The point is the disciples did not understand that Jesus was going to rise. They weren't expecting this. This was not in their plans until John just now sees it. Jesus himself had told his disciples clearly that all of these things would happen. Scriptures in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, all gave clues about the Messiah and about his resurrection. Jesus, in his own uh, life and ministry with the disciples, had foretold uh, these things. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. This is earlier in the ministry, and Jesus said this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a term that he used for himself. Jesus, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the religious leaders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That just went right over their heads. He told them so many things. They didn't get that one. That's Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 9, verse 31, uh, Jesus told his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem... And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will uh, condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. And Jesus said the very same thing in Mark chapter 10. 
John just now gets it. Nobody stole the body. The tomb is empty because Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. No one has seen Jesus yet. No one has appeared, or Jesus has not appeared yet until we come to verses 10 through 18. This is the first appearance of Jesus, and it will be to Mary Magdalene. The unexpected conversation with angels is verses 10 through 13. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Peter and John leave the tomb. They don't seem to care about the women who are left behind, and nobody told the women. John hasn't explained this to the women yet. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. So Peter and John, uh, Mary's the one who went and got Peter and, and John. She ran to them. They ran back. Mary couldn't keep up. Peter and John got there first. They went into the tomb. They made their assessment. John understood, and they left. And Mary hadn't even gotten there yet. And now Mary is back, and she's by herself because the other women have left as well. And, and she gets to see two angels. By the way, not many people get to see uh, angels. Mary got to speak with angels. She stood outside the tomb crying. She wept and bent over to look into the tomb. She is grief-stricken over Jesus' missing body. That's all she can think about. She encounters two angels in white. They are messengers of God. But Mary isn't so impressed as with angels as she is concerned about the missing body of Jesus. They ask her, verse 13, Woman, where are you, why are you crying? And she answers, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. The, the angels speak to Mary to draw her attention away from her circumstances. Why are you crying? Because they've taken Jesus. I don't know. You can almost hear Mary's uh, deep grief, and she's just focused on this loss that she has. And she's not even thinking about the significance of angels being there. Now what comes what she totally does not expect, verses 14 through 16, the unexpected encounter with Jesus. Verse 14, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. When Jesus appeared to others, it was not always clear. There's something changed about Jesus. He had a resurrected body. I don't know what that's going to be like. It was different. It was his body, but it was changed. There was another nature to it. Mary thinks the body of Jesus had been stolen. She is not expecting Jesus. She sees a man. It's early in the morning. She can't tell who it is. Is it because of her tears? Is it because she's just not paying attention? Is it because somehow Jesus didn't look like what she was expecting or thinking Jesus should look like? He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? He asked the same question that the angels asked. 
thinking that he was a gardener. Why else would there be a man in the garden this early in the morning? Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. She's, I don't know how she's going to carry the body, but she's going to go get Jesus wherever the gardener has placed him. But she's just thinking, okay, here's somebody that knows something about the garden. The tomb is open. He'd be a good person to ask. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, all he has to do is say her name. And even though she couldn't see him clearly, she picks up information that she didn't have before. It's Jesus. He said her name. I know that voice. It's the voice of Jesus. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now she understands. Now she gets it. He is not dead. He is risen Praise God. Mary is the first person to see Jesus from the dead. God revealed himself to a woman first. A highly emotional woman at that. One that didn't believe he was resurrected. He appears to her first. Jesus picked Mary to be the first eyewitness. By the way, this is, an, this is enormous evidence of an eyewitness account. Anybody who um, was, were, was fabricating a story about Jesus being raised from the dead would not have picked a woman to be an eyewitness and to be the first. In the first century, it just would not be a good plan. It would not be believable. The great thing about the Bible is the Bible records the way it happened. Whether it's cool or fitting or a great argument or not. It's just the way it happened. Verse 17, the first instructions to the first eyewitness. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Apparently, when, when Mary saw Jesus, she just grabs onto him for dear life. She had been looking for his body, and there he is, and he's not dead. I got him back to life, and she's just going to hang on for dear life. She's not thinking. She is just uh, responding to the presence of Jesus. And he says, don't, don't hold on to me. Um, it's not that he didn't want her to give him a hug. He is responding now that things are different. This, I am not here permanently. This is not the plan. The plan is... I am going to return to my Father. I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's coming. This is important. Things have changed now. And then he gives these instructions to Mary, the first eyewitness. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Um, and by the way, there seems to be a theme in the Bible. When you see and experience God at work, go and tell someone. That's what God wanted Mary to do. She has experienced something. Now she should go and tell someone else so that they too can understand and they can believe. A major change has taken place. Jesus said, Mary, go to my brothers. 
you notice there's a change here. He's talking about his disciples. He's not talking about his biological brothers who didn't come to Jerusalem and who aren't in town, who don't believe in him anyway yet. He's talking about the disciples. There's been a change in their relationship, and now they're family, and God is their father, and he is their God, and they're Jesus' brothers now. They're not just his disciples. This is a new family term for Christ's followers, that God will be their followers, and that there's going to be an ascension. In verse 18, this is our last uh, verse in John chapter 20, the first eyewitness testimony to the resurrection, verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to his disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So Mary is the first eyewitness. She gives the first eyewitness uh, testimony in history of the risen Christ. And God chose this woman to carry the most important information in the history of the world. You think about that? That God's purpose to deal with the issue of the sin of the world has been accomplished. And God sends Mary to tell about the resurrection. The amazing thing is Disciples aren't going to pay attention. They're not going to believe her. They've got to have more proof. And they're going to get it. Jesus will appear to all of them. The God who, was hung on, the God who hung on the cross was raised from the dead that very first Easter morning. And that's what makes good news good. On the first Easter morning... that Jesus was raised from the dead was good news that needed to be shared. It still needs to be shared today. It's good news because it's good. The significance, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For what I've received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I love this about the, the Apostle Paul. When he, when, when he comes to this issue of Jesus dying on the cross, this is not just a side issue of Christianity. This is the main and most important issue. It's the foundation. It's where everything starts. It's of first importance, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins. Uh, the Bible would describe this as a substitute Jesus took our place. We don't have to die for our sins because Jesus already died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was placed in Joseph's tomb Friday night, all day Saturday until Sunday morning, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, just as John realized and Mary saw firsthand. The good news, Romans 5.8 tells us this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul just reminds us of the impact of Easter. God demonstrates his own love for us 
It's like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. Um, This is good news because uh, there is bad news. The bad news is, according to the Bible, that uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, All of us fail, and um, we we fall short of God's standards. And the, the Bible calls that sin. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death, that there are consequences for sin, and that we get separated from God. And if we're left in that state, we stay separated eternally. Jesus called it hell. The consequences of sin ultimately is hell for people who don't um, understand and believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for their sins. And the good news is that Christ died for us. He was our substitute We have a moral debt to God, and Jesus paid it. He paid it all. We sometimes say that when he died on the cross, uh, this is the work of salvation. He did all of the work. All of the work of salvation is done. Uh, I I don't add to it by doing anything good, because it's entirely done and complete. It is finished. Later, the Apostle Peter will write this in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christ suffered once for our sins when he, when he was nailed to the cross. John chapter 19. The righteous for the unrighteous. He's the righteous one. We are the unrighteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why did he do this? He did this to bring us to God, to bring us into a relationship with God. It's not possible to have a relationship with God apart from the death of Jesus Christ. He was put to death in the body, crucifixion, and he was made alive in the spirit, resurrection, that first Easter Sunday morning. And the resurrection brings so much hope. So much hope. Victory over death. Jesus proved victory over death. Victory over sin. The sin penalty was paid for. Even victory over the power of Satan, ultimately. Um, The resurrection is proof, is God's proof that, that Jesus is... Uh, who God said he was and that he has won this victory. Now, interesting thing, the Bible has made it pretty simple. The good news is God has one requirement. It's not a hundred requirements. There are 613 commands in the Old Testament and there are not 613 requirements. There's just one. Acts 16, 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved to believe, to have faith, to trust, to trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sin. You have to respond. You have to make it personal. No one else can respond for you. 
It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and just put your name in there, whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. That's God's promise. His requirement is to believe, to trust, to have faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. As we close, I would like to uh, give anyone in this room who has never placed their faith in Christ, who is not sure that they're forgiven from the penalty of their sins, I would like to give an opportunity for you to put your faith in Jesus this morning. I'd like to say a prayer and uh, invite you to pray with me if that uh, is a desire of your heart, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus. I'm going to say the prayer two times. The first time is just so you can understand and um, make sure you want to own this prayer for yourself. And then the second time, if it made sense for you, I'm going to ask you to pray with me just silently from your heart, okay? And the prayer goes like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus died for me, and I trust him right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to invite Jesus to, to come in my life, and I want to ask him to help me to be the person that he wants me to be because I want to follow him. Okay, it's that simple. If that prayer made sense to you, let's just all bow together right now. If you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus today, pray along with me from your heart, silently. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I want to trust him. I want to put my faith in him right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my life. I want to ask Jesus to help me to be the person that he wants me to be. I want to follow him. If you prayed that prayer with me, Everybody's head still bowed. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand so I can see it? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Who else? If you prayed along with me, you can put your hands down. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. Father, I'm grateful for those who um, have raised their hands this morning indicating that they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray right now that they will have a sense that their sins are forgiven. That they will have a sense that you have given them eternal life, a new life, a spiritual life. I pray that they might desire to walk with you and that you will help them to follow you. And God, I want to pray for all of us, those who um, have already professed that they are Christ followers and that they believe in Jesus and that they know their sins are paid for. God, I pray that you will help us to be the people that you want us to be, that we will indeed follow you with full devotion. And I pray, Father, for the good work that you've done in our lives, that you will help us to tell others. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.